episode of Talking Maiden. The podcast of the beast. How you doing, Nesbitt? I'm doing awesome. Yeah, I'm feeling a little under the weather. Are you? <laughs> nah, I'm doing all right. I'll be going once I get this beer in me in a second. So, episode three of Number the Beast. Right. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Episode three of four or eight. No, I oh. think it's going to be four. It's going to be four. I doubt we're going to get through it. That's right. Tonight. So, we spent the first episode, we went through the background on the, on the whole project itself. Uh, we talked a lot about recording. Uh, I don't think we got into many tracks in the first episode. Thinking back now, I think Invader. We just touched the Invader show. Uh, In the last episode, we circled back. We went a little bit more on the recording. Um, I think we looked ahead at a few of the band members uh, that were involved before, where they went, and then we broke down some tracks. And we've still got a lot of tracks left to do. And we have an exciting interview. So much to be done. Okay. Yeah. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. Let's get into this beer. Yeah, actually, this is I'm super excited about this one. So I've never seen one of these before. Yeah, um, that's Landwash Brewery. It's a local brewery that just opened. Um, really cool design. Them. I actually drove out this weekend. They did a soft launch and uh, went to size it up. Awesome new setup. Really cool. Yeah. It's in Mount Pearl, which is like our, you know. Our Shelbyville. Yeah, our Shelbyville. Our Springville. Exactly. Our Only spring, it's, it's smaller and lamber. You know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, some people like to live in the country Mount Pearl is where you go when your sex drive is about to die. <laughs> it's like it's pretty lame, Harsh. but but this is taking it up a notch. And um, the 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 beer we're gonna have today is their New England IPA. It's called That Much Ocean, but they're actually renaming it Not Much Ocean because they're running it so quick. This is really popular. Oh, that's cool. That's a yeah. good sign if they're selling out of their beer right away. Yeah, so I went I went by um, and I tasted all their beers. So we're gonna preview them all on the on the podcast. So let's do it. Cool. Do not spend your time worrying about those wasted beers. Nice. Um, they have a uh, a really cool sour beer too, which has a which has new flat sea salt in it, which is awesome. Which um, I have a few tucked away for a future podcast. Cool. We'll revisit it down the road. So this is a New England IPA. Yeah. I know, which is a funny way to, to, to describe New England IPA because, I mean, it tastes to me like a very much an England or an American IPA, which obviously New England is in America. But just when you hear the English IPA versus American IPA, when I hear New England IPA, I always expect it to be British hops. Well, that's just the style of it, right? Yeah. That was good. It was really good. I can see why they're selling out of it so quick. Yeah, I think it's awesome. It's, it's probably great. my favorite locally brewed IPA right now. I know. Can you name one that's better? Um, probably the, uh, the Calm Tom I liked yeah the Caitlin Hound but the Calm Tom will put you on your yeah. backside that's 7% the Dayboil the Cativity Dayboil is also very good this is a mere the 5 Port point the Port Rexton yeah that's true yeah. <laughs> but it's it's up there I need to have a taste test with both of them next to each other to decide at that rate we'll never get through Number of the Beast <laughs> so back to Maiden so one thing we didn't talk about yet was the album art ooh we didn't touch it we didn't even no, touch yeah, on it no yeah we didn't get to it did we so busy talking about all the background to this album that we never get into the cover art so it's Derek Riggs it's a classic oh yeah it is classic you've got Eddie as the puppeteer of the beast and then the beast as a puppeteer of like a smaller Eddie in some kind of hell so this was originally the cover for the purgatory single and they thought it was too good I think it was Rod Smallwood thought it was too good and decided to keep it for the for the number of the beast album and then he did that other purgatory album cover you know the one that's like a half beast half eddie yeah so that's what he did he whipped that up really quick where have i seen the uh where have i seen the the devil playing with uh bruce as a puppet with bruce as a puppet yeah i'm sure i've seen that if not i've mistaken this for that uh i don't know i've seen this cover recreated somewhere but okay i don't know if i've ever seen bruce never seen bruce no no okay well in this instance it's very much eddie I was sure, you know, I don't know. Like the cover for the Hallowood single yeah. has a pitchfork, the beast with a pitchfork driven through Bruce. But that's not, uh, maybe that's, that's not him. That's maybe what you're thinking of. Maybe that is the confusion. Yeah. But I agree this is t- too good of a cover to use on a purgatory single. It's one of my favorite covers. Yeah, it's very cool. It's so awesome. it's just Eddie getting badass. Because the first cover that came out uh, was the Run for the Hills cover. That's with Eddie with the tomahawk fighting yeah. the devil on the, on the rock. So he's fighting the devil. Album comes out and he's like controlling the devil. And then the beast comes out and he uh, has the devil's head cut off in his hand. Yeah, that's um, really cool. But Eddie's getting progressively more badass from fighting the devil to controlling the devil to actually killing the beast. 
So yeah. Derek Riggs says that he thinks Steve Harris has the originals of these locked up in a vault somewhere. So, but this is one of those album covers you need to have on vinyl. If this is on like an MP3 on a yeah. some player or even on a CD or a cassette, you can't really get the detail. Like if you look at the detail of all the like yeah, there's little demons down here and like it's really cool. In the flames there's like a giant spider and there's like all kinds of cool stuff. Yeah, on that I wonder like is is there a way to buy the cover art at a higher resolution or perfect? You can buy prints of all these on the Iron Maiden website. Yeah, if you go and to the I... shop. You lose a lot of detail. Like on the back cover, you can see there's a lot of uh Little devils and stuff, like silhouetted. Yeah. It's pretty cool. That is really Some cool. Some tentacles coming up out of the flames and stuff. Yeah. But you lose all that on the CD, that would be like the size of a grain of salt. Yeah, and them, <laughs> them superimposed on his like super 80s. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. Pre-Photoshop. Yeah, no, I love the I love the artwork. I think yeah. it's, it's so iconic. But that era, I mean, this whole era was just defined by such iconic artwork. You know? Yeah, this era of Maiden is just like classic album cover after yeah. classic album cover. Exactly. So when it originally came out, we have the reissues that have the color-corrected cover. Like, the cover here is dark gray clouds in the background. Yeah. Uh, when it came out originally, they, they jacked the blue up to try to get the red to show properly like okay. when they're trying to print it, and it ended up with, like, a blue sky, and the colors were all off. But this is restored back to the original colors. It looks a lot better, I think. Yeah. So this was another uh, rush job by Derek Riggs. So they contacted him on a Thursday. This is all from his book. Yeah. He said in his book that they contacted him on a Thursday. He needed the album by Monday morning. So he painted the Number of the Beast album cover over a few days. And he used Salvador Dali as the inspiration for the Beast. So wow. he said because it's rushed, there's some details you don't really notice. Like the devil's supposed to have wings made of lightning and smoke. But you can kind of see the lightning here is like the devil's wings. Yeah. But they don't really stand out the way he wanted because he didn't have time. Oh, wow. Yeah. All that smoke in the back. That's, yeah, that's a wing sheet with the lightning on yeah. it. Yeah. But it doesn't really, you can't really tell. But he did this in three days. Yeah. So I never noticed, yeah, three days of like staying up with no sleep. He's insane. <laughs> but I never really, until I read, read his book, I never even saw those wings there. So oh my that's God. just some Why detail. Why do you keep doing this? Why do they do it? I can't get into it again. But I mean, my God, how could could this look? But then again, sometimes maybe you need to pluck it away from an artist. Yeah, I don't know. that's true. Too. But then Three you days. end up with like somewhere in time, which is like awesome. That's true. You know what I mean? Three. And days. apparently, the devil's feet—they cropped out his like hooves, but apparently they look kind of weird. If you look at the full picture, up, like some of the posters and stuff that you see, you can see the full print, and it's not cropped the same way. Yeah. And the devil has like a big hoof that kind of looks. And how strange. did he paint this? What was his method he painted it? Um, he used to use airbrushes. He used to use... Yeah. He uses all different kinds of stuff. In his book, like each album cover you can read, and he uses different stuff. We should circle back on this, but I, I really should should dig some stuff up, because back in the early 90s, I was really into fantasy-based airbrush paintings. Okay. In my early teens. Because Derek Riggs has a whole yeah. bunch of album covers that are non-maiden before this and after this. I shouldn't yeah. have lent you that book. Yeah, no, I've been through it. Of, yeah, yeah and I've, I've been tracking it. On, but if you read it, it's really interesting. He tells like yeah. some stories behind all the stuff. That's where I'm getting all this information from. That's so cool. But I remember the remember the fantasy uh, in the early '90s. There were so many great airbrush artists. One guy comes to mind. I've got all this stuff from him at home on my shelf somewhere in my parents' house. Oh yeah, I gotta dig it up because uh, that was back in the day when there was no fantasy movies yet. There was no Game of Thrones, nothing like that. There was no Lord of the Rings. Everything was like D&D handbooks and comic books that were... I know that Conan the Barbarian, uh, nov- the cover of the novels. Exactly. Like but that cool. guy, the guy who did that was one of these famous fantasy oh, okay. There were three or four of them. And he used to do all these iconic paintings of like original scenes from the original like uh, uh, fantasy novels. I-, I have to dig it up. We should circle yeah, back on should. this in the future and do some artwork stuff. Yeah, we should do an artwork, artwork episode. Because we yeah. did a... We did a favorite covers. A favorite covers. And we included the singles. Yeah, but we should go back and like kind of dig in. Because that book, I can pull all kinds of cool facts out. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, let's get back in the tracks. Yeah, last time, um, it's been a while, we've spread this recording out quite a bit, which has been uh, awesome. Because uh, it gives you a lot of time to sell it on the album. If you blitz through it, you kind of get one perspective. Yeah, it is but, good, but it's also yeah bad in that... I can't remember what like by the time we do episode four i can't remember what we talked about in episode one's and episodes one and two yeah that's the challenge so, i know in that book of souls episodes i think i repeated myself really bad a few times oh, well. I, I just listened back to some of those episodes when i was editing them and i was like oh i said this like in three episodes now yeah i know but i was like talking about the keyboards <laughs> yeah yeah 
But I, I know we last time we finished up on uh, 22 Acacia Avenue. Yep. And we had quite a good debate about that one. Or, well, not debate, but oh, yeah. story back There's some good out. incidents that had to do with Ooh, Some sketchy ones. <laughs> Uncomfortable incidents that we don't need to talk about anymore. Which we won't get into again. We don't want to run foul of some people. So, The Number of the Beast. Yes. So, this came out as a single April 26th, 1982. And this is the single, the album cover. Yeah. We talked about earlier with uh, the Beast head. Yeah. Beauty. Dis- decapitated. This came out about a month after the album was released. They released this song as a single. So the Run to the Hills was a month before the album, February 12th. Then the album comes out, March 22nd. And then a month after that, a little over a month, they put this out as the second single. So the B side was a live version of Remember Tomorrow with Bruce singing. Which we talked about on the Made in Japan episode. How it was actually a live version that they stripped the vocals off. That's right. Remember I did a mashup where I put both vocals in and it was like a duet. You did the duet, yeah. (laughs) I'm not going to play that now, but yeah. if you want to hear that, you can listen to the Made in Japan episode. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the cover is really cool. Eddie holding decapitated beast head. Yeah, the artwork is awesome. Yeah. So he said, yeah, he said that the whole beast thing is based on Salvador Dali, what he looks like. Only he added like lizard fins and horns, gills or whatever, and lizard tongue. It was re-released a few times over the years as a single with different like live songs as B-sides. There's like a red vinyl and a picture disc, and I don't want to get into all the different versions. We'll get bogged down in all the different versions of all the singles yeah. and all the different B-sides on them all. Um, so Steve Harris wrote this song. He said he wrote it after watching Damien Omen 2, which I watched last week. Oh, God. <laughs> watched it, went to sleep, and didn't have any cool nightmares. So <laughs> didn't wake up with any awesome songs stuck in my head. But oh. it's a movie worth watching. It's kind of cool. Much better than Children of the Damned that I watched the week before. <laughs> oh god where do you find the time yeah all Nesbitt is deep diving <laughs> it's also inspired by Tam O'Shanter which is a poem by Robert Burns which is like an old Scottish poem about a guy who like stays out drinking and rides home after dark from the pub and he passes his abandoned church and sees this like ritual with witches and Satan um and one of the witches has like a super short skirt so he like yells out at her and then he gets chased on his horse and like barely escapes satan's grasp when he goes over this like river over this bridge so it's kind of similar to the song in that it's a guy that's like witnessing a ritual of some kind except uh you know in the song the narrator actually gets drawn to the chanting hordes yeah whereas in this poem he kind of like escapes or whatever so so i think in this song he kind of like gets gives into it at the end you know he can't avoid their eyes yeah he gets mesmerized that's right (laughs) to quote the song yeah, I have the fire and the force. I have the power to make my evil take its course. It's almost like he like gives into it. But anyway, in yeah. the poem, he doesn't. And the poem is in Old English, if you look it up online. And I can hardly understand anything. <laughs> you have to like read commentary to say, like this line is about this and this line is about that. It's very difficult to read. Yeah, Old English is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Or I, think, I assume it's Old English. Yeah. It might be some kind of like Scottish something. I don't know. When it comes to like uh, poetry, I'm like not your man. Some version of Gaelic, but it, it sounds to me like that's that's old English you're talking about. Yeah. So in Infinite Dreams, that's a book by Dave Bowler and Brian Dre. I got a quote from Steve Harris. He says, "The Number of the Beast was originally written as a short story about someone having a dream, and the twist at the end was that the dream came real." Is this is this is this real <laughs> or just some crazy dream? Yeah. He said he wrote it after he had watched that Damien movie, The Omen Two, mm. but this has nothing, absolutely nothing to do with it, other than like evil and you know yeah. they do actually quote you know revelations in that movie but it doesn't really have anything to do with plot wise so anyone that ever listens to any podcasts about mm-hmm. metal or anything and when they do the number of the beast episode they always start out with a recording of the that spoken intro i love it it's kind of like totally overdone it to introduce your podcast with like a recording of that but uh, I'm going to play it anyway. <laughs> so even though it's totally overdone, I'm going to play it to refresh everyone's memory. Woe to you, O earth and sea. For the devil sends the beast with wrath because he knows the time is short. Let him who hath understanding reckon the number of the beast, for it is a human number. Its number is 666. Overplayed my ass. I love that. It so is much. super cool. That yeah. one that is a ringtone. So that's from like Revelations in the Bible, and people always like nitpick yeah. about what part of the Bible it's from or whatever. But it doesn't yeah. really matter. It's but who who does that? So it's this guy Barry Clayton. Yeah. So he was an actor, um, and I think he did radio work in the seventies. I think shows his voice is awesome. So Barry Clayton, yeah. he did it for three hundred dollars. 
They asked Vincent Price to do it, and they said he wanted $25,000 as a fee. Wow. I think this is way better than Vincent Price. Vincent Price has, like, the taint of Michael Jackson's thriller. So I always, I think it would make it extra cheesy if I heard Vincent Price. It reminded me of, like, Hilarious House of Frightenstein. (laughs) I just just made, like, the most 80s Canadian reference that no one's ever going to get if they didn't grow up in Canada in the 80s. Wait, no, what was that? Hilarious House of Frightenstein. I don't know. There's a kid's show where it's, like, themed around, like, Igor and Frankenstein and... I don't know. But anyway, they had a... Anyway, it's not ringing any bells right off. But, uh, so yeah, this guy Barry Clayton, he also did an intro for this show, which I only read about this online. I don't really remember this. I don't really remember this show, but apparently it was pretty popular. Castle Dracula. Home for many centuries to a dreadful dynasty of vicious vampire ducks. The Counts of Duckula. He did the intro for this cartoon called Count Duckula, which I think was in the 80s. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So that's the Duckula. same guy. So he's no stranger to doing like recorded intros to creepy Count stuff. Duckula. Oh my god, this is all flashback time. <laughs> I'm here, I'm here in my own head. What was that cartoon, Count Duckula? Do you remember? I don't know. It kind of seemed familiar to me, and then I saw the intro on YouTube. Yeah, I'd have it didn't to look really it ring any bells for me. I don't know. Yeah. It, interesting too that this is the second uh, track where they do one of these intros, right? Like yeah. In Book of Souls, we did you know the 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 uh, um, eternity should fail. Yeah. That had the intro. Well, even the prisoners had an the intro. Prisoner. Yeah. yeah. So it's the second one on the album. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I love this so much. Every That's time a cool I hear, way to set it up. The only thing, the only downs, the only negative about it and i did it again today just before you came here i was listening again to the vinyl i crank it because the first song on the second side as soon as it comes up and they start talking i, I crank it up so i can hear let him who hath understanding reckon the number of the beast and when i crank it up like then the music is it's like oh, yeah. it's so the much bass riff comes in and like yeah, yeah. So I was actually, I turned it on and I was like walking over there and then I had to run back and slide and turn it down because <laughs> it was cranked, right? That's the only, I love it so much, man. Yeah, I love when that bass kicks in. That's yeah. the way the whole song starts. So I just, it's written by Steve Harris, 100%, or well, the credit is. Yeah. Uh, I'm assuming he wrote it on his bass and it probably started with this bass riff. <laughs> assume he wrote the song you know on his bass yeah, bass doing that probably and then dave murray doubles it on guitar and it's kind of hard to hear on the album but uh, i think he's got like this flange effect on his guitar and it just gives it a really cool feel So you can hear there's like a cool effect on his guitar. Yeah. I'm not sure if it's a phaser or a flanger. I'm kind of a moron when it comes to guitar effects, but it sounds pretty cool. I looked at his uh, gear setup during that time, and under his pedals, he they have he has a phase 90 pedal, so maybe it's a phaser. I don't know. But I used to be able to play this on guitar, so oh, cool. it's a weird... This is one of the few Maiden songs that I could play on guitar. Yeah. No, I have, no, I have no idea what that is. It's interesting yeah. though when you take it at like that. It's a weird timing too. It's like, I think it's like 5-4 timing. Yeah. So it's uh, the timing is really strange. And it feels weird when you play it on guitar. Yeah. You're kind of, you can get the feel of it, but it's hard to like count along with it. Yeah. It's pretty cool. And I just love that. That riff just builds up. Yeah. And builds definitely. up and builds up. Oh, it's such a good, it's such a good tune. Yeah. And it, it, even though it's such a, you know, an iconic song for Maiden, 
from Number the Beast, but man, it, it musically it's it's solid. Yeah, and you're gonna lead in, you're gonna get to the scream. Oh yeah, and moments. then the intro scream. So Bruce Dickinson said that he had to do this initial intro scream so many times in the studio that the version on the album he's like legitimately frustrated and just like. Or I got a quote here from Martin Birch. He says, "I remember we spent ages getting the vocal intro to the title track right." We did it over and over and over and over until Bruce said, my head is splitting. Can we move on and do something else and come back to this? But I wouldn't let him do anything else until he got it perfect. It drove him crazy. And Bruce Dickinson says, dimly, I started to see the difference between singing a line and living it. It was like Martin was a can opener and I was a can of beans. Wow. I know, I love that. You could seriously strain your vocal cords doing that, though. And he did it over and over and over. He had to sing those intro lines, like, over and over. So when he finally did that, he was just that, you know, he got pushed to the point where he's, you can hear it in his voice when he does that scream. That's so awesome. That's one of the most classic. Yeah. And it's Martin Birch, too, right? He's a really good producer, and he knows how to get that out of people. Well, well we talked about that early on, right? Yeah. In, in one of the first episodes, how he keeps pushing it. I think you said that Bruce Lee is just frustrated. Yeah. Well, he's very that. different than Kevin Shirley, yeah. who just kind of throws a mic out and gets a few takes, and he's like, that's great. we get the live energy. Yeah. Like, Martin Birch is, I, I think he has more of a hand in, like, cr- not crafting the songs, but, like, you know, he kind of pushes them in directions and stuff, where Kevin Shirley, I think, just kind of... Stands back and lets Maiden be Maiden. Yeah. So you really notice that difference in the Martin Birch albums. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Like, for example, we were talking about production last episode. If you listen to Bruce's vocals on the song, just like the harmonies and like the echo effects and stuff on his vocals, I got a clip here of his, uh, Bruce's vocals and listen to all the effects on his vocals that you don't really notice, but when you hear it pulled out, like, it just sounds so awesome. I'm coming back! I will return! And that, that kind of echo, it just sounds so evil. You know what I mean? I was wait, I was waiting for the scream there. I love yeah. when he, uh, I love when he's when he's doing it live, and he says, "I'll make London burn." Or oh yeah, know? I'll make insert city name. Yeah, burn. insert city name <laughs> burn. Yeah, That's I will awesome. make current city burn. <laughs> we live in current city. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool, but that just shows like what a good producer can do when like yeah. it just adds some, those little touches that he adds to stuff. Just. I don't know, it gives a feeling to the vocals that wouldn't be there if yeah. it was just straight into a mic. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, definitely. That's just cool, little stuff like that. And the bass playing in this is awesome. Yeah. Guitar is awesome. I have a clip here of the bass line during and after the solo. If anyone ever asks you why you think Steve Harris is like such a badass, awesome bass player, play them the song and get them to listen to the bass lines. Steve Harris, when he plays, goes up the neck and plays all these fills. Yeah. So cool. I know. I know. And you know what? It's Bass is such an underappreciated instrument. Yeah. Like, it really does. Only when you isolate it. Well, it can be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, I I listen to the bass line driving the song, but I mean, I don't... When you hear it, you don't realize there's that much going on. Yeah. But I find the same thing with rhythm guitar. I miss it, you know. Um, The solos. Back-to-back Marie and Adrian are awesome. Oh, yeah. When you were playing that, I was screaming for the solo. Yeah. These are probably two of the most, like, iconic... Iron Maiden guitar solos. Yeah. I think in their whole catalog. So the, it starts off with Dave Murray. So that's classic Dave Murray. Yeah. 
Um, that's, yeah, one of the most iconic yeah. solos. And then the Adrian Smith part is equally as awesome. Two awesome punchy solos. Yeah. And in those instances, you've got the bass and, and everything ripped out. Well, you just got the drums, essentially. The drums and the nice guitar solo, yeah. yeah. But it's, uh, you, nice you know, they're iconic guitar yeah. solos. They're short, they're sweet, they're not too long. Yeah. They're perfect, I yeah. think. Perfect for the song. This is a classic Maiden song. I don't have any criticisms of the song at all. Yeah. Normally, yeah. we go through an album, we, like, criticize songs, and we, you know, this album sounds like, so far, like, we're, except for Invaders. Yeah. It seems like we're like the cor- the chorus in Invaders we kind of criticize, but like other than that, this album is like so classic. Yeah. It's hard to find any faults in it. You know, and we haven't talked about the drumming yet, but I find the drumming is really good in this. I'm gonna oh, yeah. I'm gonna talk about it in a later track yeah. where I find you know Beverly Stips yeah. Beverly stands out in in a later track, and we talked about it previously. Yeah. This isn't one where I think he's demoed amazingly, but I think he's excellent. He drives the song. Yeah. Um, but between the iconic intro, the Bruce screams, the back to back. Murray Adrian solos the Harris bass line the Harris writing yeah. credit it's like Maiden condensed yeah. into one song oh yeah and, and it's, it's got the, the title track yeah. it ties in with the album cover it's everything it's, it's everything it's perfect it's the most descriptive song which is funny because we always talk about Trooper and then of course now yeah. we're going to get to Verde Hills in a minute and you know Number of the Beast is rarely on someone's someone's uh, favorite track list I don't know maybe yeah. in your top I don't know but it's uh, totally underappreciated yeah. I mean my takeaway from this whole process for this album you know, and out like that's the thing when you have a podcast like this, and you end up re-listening, re-listening. You start to realize sometimes things that you knew so well, you don't know that well. And this song I gained an amazing appreciation for, it, and Run to the Hills as well, which we'll talk about next because I'm yeah. crapping on it so much. Yeah. But uh, this track is just amazing. It's 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 perfect. It's like yeah. if you were to sum up Maiden anyone, this would be the track. Oh yeah, if you b- distilled Maiden down to its like to one essence, track. it's this track. Yeah. This or the Trooper. I don't know. Yeah, the only thing is maybe if you wanted to say more encompassing of, of All Maiden, including the later stages, yeah. you'd define it as a track that has all these qualities and maybe six or seven minutes long, and maybe it's a little bit more, and, and, and you know, I don't know. But for me, it's it's punchy. It's like, what? It's under five minutes. What was four? 425 here yeah. on Sleeve. So. Which is short for a Maiden track. It is. Well, as we, yeah. but in those days. I mean, yeah, in this know, days, it, in these days it is. Acacia Avenue and. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's middle of the pack, probably short even back then by this album standards. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, what a great album. Yeah, and it's even song. got our, our, our famous reference in it, you know. Was it real and not just fantasy? Oh, yeah. Which, which <laughs> that's true. Said, that's one of the themes we always carry. We on. always uh, joke around yeah. about how Bruce can yeah. never tell if something is actually happening or not. Yeah. Well, I was listening well, to Heaven Can Wait, and there's a line in that, too, I know. when I'm driving over here tonight. Is this real or just some crazy <laughs> dream? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Great track. Awesome. There's a video for the track yeah. filmed on the Beast on the Road stage. Um, it was f- filmed at Newcastle City Hall during day before. They had a concert there that night. It was filmed during the day before their show there that night. And uh, apparently in Bruce's book, they said that Steve and Bruce got in a huge fight and almost came to blows at that show. <laughs> so there was a bit of tension between the two of them. Because it was Steve's band. Steve was running the show. And Bruce came in and kind of there was a bit of a conflict there at first. Yeah. So, But it, you know, it all worked out. But the video is super cheese. You know, the beast jumps down, he pokes the pitchfork at the... Yeah. Whenever people... You always hear about how people like freaked out that they were devil worshippers and this was so evil. Yeah. And I always picture that little devil jumping down, poking at the at the camera with his pitchfork. And I'm like, really? You're taking this serious? Like, yeah. you think this is a serious thing? It's yeah. Funny. I know. And, and uh, I guess people just don't get the layers, right? 666, the number of the beast. And, and there were, you know... We look at it now and we say, oh, well, how could you even believe that? Look at the satire. Look at the fact that he's holding the puppet. And then, you know, it's like cyclical. Yeah. The, the devil's holding the puppet to him. But there was a lot of real stuff going on at the time. You know, the Vietnam War was, was the Cold War was on. Like, Well, that plus at this time, this is in the middle of the, this is early 80s. Yeah. So in the 80s, there was this like satanic panic going on. So in the 80s, there's this big like fad about Satanism. Like, everyone was obsessed with devil worship and sacrifices and kids getting corrupted by cults and stuff. Mm. And Jerry Falwell, he's a uh, like a fundamentalist preacher. He had this moral majority. And they basically were, like, pushing for, like, 
prayer in school and anti-metal, anti-gay, traditional values, like, and totally, like, opposed to anything remotely to do with, like, the devil, even if it's, like, a tongue-in-cheek joke like this. And, like, there's a, a couple of books written in the 80s about, like, there's one about this woman who, like, she said she was captured by, like, a satanic cult and saw sacrifices and all the stuff, and the media went crazy over it. And it was all 100% debunked later as, like, a load of crap. But there was this huge backlash against Dungeons & Dragons, too. In 1982, this kid committed suicide, and his mother actually, like, sued D&D, saying that a curse from the game and, like, something to do with, like, evil from Dungeons & Dragons. So that was a climate in America when the number of the beasts dropped. So everyone kind of freaked out, right? So and Maiden kind of like rode that, right? They, you know, the no press is bad press thing. So I actually watched a uh, interview with Bruce on YouTube, and a guy asked him about how he felt about like record burnings because people used to burn the records and stuff and yeah. smash them, and uh, he kept just saying like that was awesome because like people had to buy the records to burn them. So he's yeah, like, right. he it's thought it was more. just great. And there's it seems really si- silly now, but there's actually people that were like smashing the albums with hammers. Because they thought burning them would release like the evil into the air and stuff. It was like people were going crazy. So that was kind of you got to kind of yeah. put yourself in that climate that the United States was in in the early '80s when this album came out. So I don't yeah. know. I just think it's silly now. It's funny but, you say yeah. that because I remember um, one of my friends uh, not being allowed to play Dungeons and Dragons with us because his parents thought it was satanic. Yeah. And I remember my, my, my dad like laughing like, <laughs> yeah. when I told him because he, he knew what it was. Like I was pretending to be an elf and basically I was inside not high drinking, <laughs> drinking or getting a girl pregnant when I was 13. So yeah. he was like, yeah, just go fill your boots full of soda and chips and, yeah. and have a night. You know, he, he, he thought it was hilarious, but literally my friend's uh, parents didn't like it. They were like really you know churchy yeah. and they, uh, they just weren't into it. Yeah. And but I that's, remember, yeah. Yeah. So that's the United States at the time, right? So yeah. But it's, I just every time I hear about that, I just picture that guy in the in the beast suit, yeah, like dancing around. I'm like, hey, I'm the devil. Yeah, <laughs> and I picture like someone seeing that and being like, oh, Satan. Yeah, that's so, <laughs> so funny, ridiculous. Isn't it? Like yeah. super religious people, like say, love you, tweets their own. Yeah, yeah but anyway, I just it. I always find it funny, just like I don't know how ridiculous it seems to me to see all this stuff that seems so like tongue in cheek, like a comic book or something. Yeah. And see people actually freaking out about it back then. You see video, you can go online and see video clips of people like burning albums and, you know, they just yeah. think like that, that Satan's going to take over their kids yeah. by listening to this. That sentiment is well and good, truly alive now on social media. This person said that eight year, 18 years ago. Yeah, you suppose. know, this person was 12 years old. <laughs> they told this joke. I can't believe it. Now, yeah. they, now they want, now they're 70 years old and they want to apply for this job. How dare they? <laughs> you know? And so it's still out there. Yeah. It's just not Satan anymore. Now it's, you've run afoul of the Lord of political correctness. A different kind of witch hunt. A different kind. (laughs) Next song, Run to the Hills. Yeah. The song that, man, you know, I was joking around. This is actually, there's a lot of layers. The song that you used to always say that you hate. And you're always, not not, not that you hate, you're sick sick of it. it. And you used to always make fun of people that that was their favorite song and stuff. And I was like, it's awesome. It is an awesome And I never stopped thinking it was awesome. No, but it's excellent on vinyl too. It's far better on vinyl. Oh, it's just good on anything, man. It's yeah. like this perfectly crafted, hooky, yeah, catchy metal song. Yeah, it's got awesome riffs. Yeah. It's got awesome everything in it. What what role did Adrian have in the development of this song? Uh, it's a hundred percent Steve Harris. Steve Harris. Credit, no so. Adrian influence on this at all. This is another one that Bruce Dickinson says he had. A moral. Says he had like no yeah. writing credit in, but he definitely. He wasn't allowed to be credited on. Yeah. I've got some quotes here, actually. I'll read them in a second. I got a piece of paper with some quotes on it. But uh, I'll get into it first. It was a single, Run of the Hills, released February 12th, a month, like a month, a little over a month before yeah. the album came out. The B-side was Total Eclipse, which is, uh, we're going to get into that after. Because I'm not counting that as we go through the tracks. Yeah. But I'm going to get into it after as like a bonus track. Because mm. it wasn't on the original album. But uh, Steve Harris says if he had his time back, he would have had Gangland as the B-side and Total Eclipse on the album. Okay. We can also talk about that when we get to the track. So the single cover, this is the single cover here yeah. with Eddie. You know, it's a Pitchfork versus Tomahawk. It's pretty cool. And there's all these like demons around. It's uh, This one wasn't painted in a rush like many of the album covers. Yeah. Uh, it's Derek Riggs. He painted it ahead of time and showed Rod Smallwood and he bought it. Rod Smallwood, the only thing he requested is that he kind of add some feathers to the tomahawk, to the axe, to make it into like a tomahawk, to make yeah. it a little Indian themed. It was released as a single two more times. 
a live version from Live After Death and with Phantom of the Opera as a B-side. And that had a cover that's this single here. That has Eddie, you know, playing an organ on a hill. Yeah. Because the B-side was Phantom, so I think they're trying to work Phantom and Run of the Hills into one album cover. Okay. So that's kind of a cool album cover. But yeah. it's alright. It's not one of my favorites. But he's no, got it's... the cape like a Phantom of the Opera. Style. Yeah, it's yeah. Instead of the theme of the rest of them, but I guess that's yeah. the timing. And in 2002, there was another, there's this album cover, which is uh, a live version of Run of the Hills they released as a single, uh, as a fundraiser for Clive Burr, because he had most, multiple sclerosis at the time. Yeah. And Bruce on stage with like an Eddie mask on. Oh, cool. So that was like a bonus fundraiser single. Ah, oh, cool. Okay, I saw something about this on the internet a while ago. Um, Run to the Hills. Bruce Dickinson was watching this documentary about that song, My Way. Like the famous Sinatra yeah. song? Yeah, but, well, Frank Sinatra. It's actually a French song called Comme d'Abitude. Yeah. And in this documentary, they're talking about the rising sixth. I'm not sure I understand it totally. It's it's the way that the melody Yeah, because My Way keeps going. Yeah. It's like it steps up. It was just an awesome song. When you watch Sinatra do it live, you know, especially later in his years when he was, like, reflecting back on his life. Oh, yeah. Sinatra is amazing. The life he lived, like... Sinatra was a pro and 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 early days. Yeah, famous. I agree. I just I never in with would the mob want to ever listen pack. to his music. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I mean face. this guy's iconic. But uh, anyway, I have a clip from is the IBM Smarter Business Conference in 2012 in Stockholm. He said it's all in the rising sixth. So the interval bum 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 bum. That's a sixth note. He said, think about my way is that it has and now the end is near. And so on, then it changes key. My friends, I'll say it You get double whammy. You're getting a double dose of the rising six. This is like musical heroin. And so, so I, I went, I went, well, maybe, there, maybe there's something to this. So I've got my guitar. And, 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 uh, when we were writing with Iron Maiden, if you listen to the song, uh, Run to the Hills, it's a little bit like, and now the end is near. So I face the final curtain, my friends, I'll say it clear. I'll say my case, of which I'm certain. So he's just saying how that song. He basically used that as a template for an idea of how to write a really catchy, awesome song. Never, and it totally worked. I've never heard that. in Musical the, in, heroine. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I yeah. love the fact that he's never done drugs and he's like makes these allergies. Yeah, well, he's never yeah. done heroin, I don't think, but... Yeah. Well, probably not. There has been some drug use in some drug use. Bus. Harris doesn't use drugs. Um, now I almost want to listen to the track because I've never picked that up. Yeah. So if you listen to the vocal chorus, which I'm going to play now, um, this is like a total showcase of how something that like they would never have been able to do with their old lead singer. So this is like what their new singer kind of freed them up to write. Run to the hills Run for your lives Run to the hills Run for your lives So he kind of used the what was like or one of the most famous songs in history which is my way one of the most successful ones and used mm kind of some of the musical theory behind that to come up with like probably the catchiest maiden song ever do you think i don't know like but like the, the sinatra song starts off with him just like talking to the crowd and then there's this and then the whole kind of orchestra kicks in and it just crescendos and at the end he's like screaming and singing and it's just brilliant and like this is just yeah, he's not copying micro... the song no I know. he's using the musical the theory behind it yeah which is the switch between two notes that are sixth sixth apart yeah, I guess that that that's in there, but to me, I don't know. It doesn't stand out in that way. Yeah. Uh, but is it is it the catchiest Iron Maiden song? Is there a catchier Iron Maiden song than "Run of the Hills"? I don't know. It's like the be one song. Be dead always sticks out to me. Are you kidding? It always compare, does. man. Well, I'm not saying it compares. You said it's there a catchier song. That doesn't compare and catchier. It just to me, it always does. Okay. Yeah. I would think most people that you talk to, if they no one Iron Maiden song of this is the one oh, song. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. The catchiest one? Yeah, there's nothing. There's also, nothing. this is like the ultimate example of the Maiden Gallop. 
Everyone, like, Maiden doesn't have that galloping thing in that many songs. If you listen yeah. to their whole catalog, they, in their biggest hits, they kind of have it, like Trooper and this. And, like, this even says, like, Galloping Heart on the Plains. But that whole, like, drum yeah. beat of the galloping, like, like, this one and the Trooper are actually about, like, horses charging. You know what I mean? They're the two yeah. ultimate examples of the Maiden gallop. Yeah. So this, this is probably the best drumming on the album in my mind. Yeah, it's yeah. awesome. The yeah, the Clive Bird drums on this are awesome. Yeah, and not overplayed like we talked about before. This is a prime yeah. example. This is a, in my mind's best stuff. And the riff on this is amazing. Yeah. So I have a clip here of Clive Burr, his drumming on this. And listen yeah. to the galloping beat and how he works the fills in and how tight it is. Yeah, it's really it's cool. Great. I like the fill there in the middle. It's just like, yeah. you know, he's not overplaying it. He's just like, yeah, snappy, tight drumming. Awesome. Yeah, love it. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And then it. you yeah. go right into the Dave Murray. There's no Adrian solo. No. Right in the Dave Murray solo, short and sweet. Also, like an iconic Maiden solo. <laughs> guitar solo whammy bar super fluid textbook dave murray style it's super cool and then they you know builds up to that rising part that bruce sings and then bruce just like nails the ending Run for your That's cool. That's deadly. That's awesome. A little echo in the voice there at the end. Yeah, I love it. I wonder sometimes if the if the um, you know the chorus wasn't so iconic, if this track would be loved more maybe by hardcore main fans. Like it just it's so whenever you think about the track, you just think about the chorus. It's almost like prisoner. But know? I think everyone that is well, I said that about invaders. Or no, too. sorry, invaders. Yeah, not prisoner invaders. Yeah, well, the invaders has a has a cheesy chorus. This one yeah. just has a chorus that you know too much. Yeah, and a lot of people really say they don't like the song and by that i think that they mean that they are sick of the song oh yeah you can't not like it because i have a feeling when they first heard it they loved it i've said i've said i'm sick of it or hate it but corrected myself sick of it a hundred yeah. times yeah and even now like I, I listened to it and i was like you know what i have new appreciation for the song's excellent i'm still not gonna tee it up on my playlist yeah i guess you oh, i'll still listen to it all the time yeah i love it i never get sick of the song i don't know why wow the trooper i'm a little sick of but this one, I don't know. I think I've gotten re-into this one because my kids love the song. Okay. So I played in the car for them and they're like, woo. We never touched on the video. Uh, we did talk about it previously right. on the podcast. Right. So I'm not really getting into the videos that yeah. deep. Like the Number of the Beast yeah. episode, or the Number of the Beast video that yeah. we were just talking about. Uh, yeah, I have, could yeah. talk to you for half an hour about that. But we already did it on, we did a video, yeah, we a music did. video episode. Yeah, we broke this one down in that movie that they used. And they right. speeded up the footage. And yeah, because I had a list of all the clips in yeah. the Number of the Beast and what movies they came from and the timestamps yeah, of what movie they came from and everything. Yeah, we covered Run to the Hills, the video. And Run to the I Hills remember. we did too, yeah. We did it. So I'm it's not David sure Mallet, the same director as the Number of the Beast yeah. video. And uh, it's pretty much the same stage setup as the Number of the Beast video. It's the same tour set. And yeah, there's a, that silent film, The Uncovered Wagon, where they take all that slapstick right. from, stuff from. But, you know, it, and that kind of just drives home the contrast of the two points of view in the song or whatever. But yeah, yeah, I don't really want to get into the videos because we kind of either. went super detailed into that on a full episode. 
Absolutely. So the next track, Gangland. So yeah. here's finally we're getting to something where people are probably sick of us saying like awesome every 30 seconds. So I actually do have some a bit of criticism about the song. Okay. But not too much. So this is one of the songs that Clive Burr has a writing credit on. And the other one is Total Eclipse. So Adrian and Clive basically wrote this together. And Bruce also, this is one of the ones where he said he had a moral contribution, but he's not able to take credit for it. And uh, so here, yeah, this is a quote that I was talking about earlier. So Bruce Dickinson, he says, I had a fairly big moral contribution. I had a very big moral contribution on Gangland too, but Gangland kind of sucks. Gangland and Invaders are my two least favorite songs on that record. Mm. So this is the only al- song on the album with no Steve Harris contribution. Yeah, I mean, that's that sounds like a Lotus statement. Yeah. But the rest of the tracks on this album are Children of the Damned, The Prisoner, 22 Acacia Mute, Number yeah. of the Beast, Run to the Hills, and Hell Be That. Yeah, name. so it's the weakest song on the album. <laughs> but I think people are too hard on it, right? They're, they're, it's not going to make it on anyone's Maiden mixtapes. Yeah. You know what I mean? But, like, you slap any song between Run to the Hills and Hallowed Be Thy Name. If you do have a sort of filler song, like, this is the place to put it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, yeah. I don't have any criticism of putting Invaders as the opener. Because I did think it kind of was a good bridge between Killers and this new sound. Yeah. And it has, like, a good tempo. And then they break it down into Children of the Damned. And you really hear the vocals yeah. that Bruce is capable of on the second song. You know, people always say, like, maybe Total Eclipse should have gone in here. But... Uh, I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah, I mean, but there's I, not I, much here that's mu- very memorable, except for the drumming. Yeah. So it's sort of blah, but the drumming I think is great. You say the drumming. I love the fl- uh, fluid guitar riffs and the solo in this song are what I highlight. But saying that this this song is is weak is like you know you could line up eight Victoria's Secret models and be like yeah those two are not as you know like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the problem. The other six legitimately well maybe with the exclusion of Prisoner the other six legit five. Besides Prisoner, maybe, and even then, or legitimately, could be on a Greatest Hits album. Yeah. Like, I mean, th- oh, yeah. that's how good this album this is. This album is almost a Greatest Hits album. It almost is, yeah. Yeah, yeah this is written by Clive Burr. Yeah. Really, really cool uh, drum feel here. kind of has a uh, yeah. hot for teacher like van halen vibe it does although yeah. that came out two years after this so Ooh, potential lawsuit i guess uh hot for teacher has a gangland vibe yeah it's a ga- <laughs> you know hot I mean? for teacher is a gangland yeah. vibe. and this is the only song really that has like like lyrics that are like a throwback to the first two album diano era yeah kind of thing you know what i mean life on the streets and like stabbing and killing and that kind of stuff oh, rough. so you have a song about vikings possessed children some kind of sci-fi prison village yeah. A satanic ritual. A lady conquering the, Native Americans. A lady of the night. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A lady of the night. And then you have this, like, Paul Diano switchblade song. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's Burr's, you know what I mean? Burr's little protest in there. You made, you wanted me to make this clip of the Gangland solo. Yeah. Yeah. I just love the guitar riff and the solo in this tune. Yeah. I agree. The guitar riff in here. Like, people trash the song. Yeah. Like, this is some really cool riffage from Iron Maiden, if you ask me. kind of cool the guitar you know, oh, guitar work in there uh, now you said you like the guitar solo in the song a lot yeah but that was one of my criticisms was that the guitar solo is like eight seconds long and doesn't really go anywhere yeah but yeah there's just a really short solo but to me the guitar works throughout the whole track is awesome but right. do you, do you so here's solo? the guitar solo So there's not that much to it. I don't know. The song is like, the whole song, it's okay. It has a good energy. The yeah. chorus is like completely. Yeah, I don't like it. Nothing to it at all. Like, no. the, it totally dropped the ball on the chorus. Yeah. I'd say this is like textbook example of filler. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it yeah. is, but it's, it's still good. 
Like it's wedged in, you know, yeah. if you listen to it's this good side, filler, but yeah, if you listen yeah. to this side of the vinyl, you kind of, you kind of tune it a bit. Until, yeah. Well, I mean, look what you got. You got number of the beast run to the hills. Yeah. Then you got this song gangland yeah. and then yeah. hallowed be thy name, right? Possibly the best maiden song of all time. Yeah. So they've never played the yeah. song live no. and like with good reason, I think, I think it would be a buzzkill if they played this at a concert. Yeah. Well, that would make sense. Plus you can't play the whole album live. Yeah. Um, well you could you could, <laughs> you could technically um, yeah I suppose we'll call it there and we'll address because Halloween is going to take a little time so That's we'll get true. into that yeah. in our final episode and we got a special guest we do we got a special guest calling in who's yeah. his favorite album I don't know if we've already said it or not I forget I think we did say who it was okay we're gonna, it's a secret again <laughs> yeah, it's, in case don't listen to last week to find out <laughs> who's coming next week Reflections. someone who is very very knowledgeable about uh, the number of the beast yes yep. yes Landwash Brewery what do you make of that that's good yeah. That's pretty good. I thought this beer is awesome. Yeah. yeah. I really want to check out their brewery now. Yeah. Sometimes I wonder if I'm too biased on local beers. Like, but I think yeah. this one's awesome. That was good. I didn't think it was as good as the Port Rexton beers that we tried. Yeah. Or maybe as good as I described yeah. it because I was, I've been the love. I would like to try that on tap and see what it tastes like. Oh, yeah. That's you know what, what I had on tap. See, oh, it's even better on tap. Yeah. Oh, it's so good on tap. <laughs> it's like the best on tap. They are usually better on tap, though. Yeah, they are. And, uh, man, were they ever, the place was blocked. Oh, that's good. That's a good yeah, sign. Yeah. I know. I've never seen that many cool people in such a lame place of the world. <laughs> oh, I'm just kidding. All the people that are listening from Mount Pearl are going to write in now. Hey, yeah. Letter writing campaign against no, Josh. No one, no one from <laughs> Mount Pearl is into something as fun as Iron Maiden. Um, I'm just kidding. God bless Mount Pearl. Um, yeah, awesome beer. Fantastic. So I guess we'll we'll wrap it there. We'll finish this up next week. Yep. Um, any comments? Any ideas? Anything else? Lots of emails coming lately. Yeah. TalkingMaiden.com. You can find our email on there. If you haven't rated us, rate us on iTunes. You just have to click. You don't have to type anything. Yes. Yeah. You can stars. type in a review or you can just click on the fifth star. Absolutely. Until next time when we finish up, pump the heart down the hops. Yeah.